Well, good morning, Grace Hill. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to our live stream this morning. Uh, my name is Alan, so if I've never met you, one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church, and you know, I'll tell you what, I would much rather be with all of you in person over at Hernan Middle School, but as we all know, circumstances just don't allow for that uh, this morning. And so we are just grateful that we have the technology and the ability uh, to do this online and to gather together at the same time and worship together and read from God's word. And so I really encourage you, uh, if you would just grab a Bible, uh, get that open, just like we do in church on Sunday mornings when we're together. Uh, we like it when people have their Bibles open on their lap so that you can read what I'm reading from the scriptures. You can make sure that what I say is coming from the scriptures because this morning, the reason why we're gathered together, even if it's online, is to hear from the word of God. Uh, but before we jump in, um, I'd like to take a, a minute and just spend some time in prayer. Uh, pray for us as we navigate this really unique season uh, to pray for our world as our world grapples with this virus and trying to understand how to respond to it. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who uh, are fearing this virus. There's a lot of people who are scoffing at it. And so there's just a lot for us to pray through. And so let's take a few minutes. Let's pray. I'm actually going to pray a few written prayers uh, that some other people have written that I think will help guide us this morning. But let's spend a few minutes in prayer and then we'll jump into God's word. Father, this morning as we gather together to open up your word and to read it, we would like to pause and just pray for our world as it is grappling with the spread of this virus. Uh, for this brief pause that our world is going through right now, it seems like everything is, is, is coming to a halt. For this reminder of our own weakness and of our dependence upon you, we thank you, O oh Lord. Days such as these in, in which many endure a measure of sickness or unease is a reminder that the redemption of all things is not yet complete, God. It is a reminder that this body will decline and one day fail. And so it is also a reminder that the ways I spend my days matter. For my hours, revealed like veins of gold beneath a rushing stream, are a limited resource to be purposefully mined or forever lost. Days such as these are a reminder that good health and vigor are gifts to be consciously and, and gratefully enjoyed and to be invested while they might in eternal things. So let us finish these days, O Lord, wiser than we began it. Let us live now in light of the knowledge that a time might come in this life when we feel such sickness and discomfort for a long season when we must adjust to a new normal, when our abilities are limited either by the, the slow decline of age or from some accident, injury, or disease. 
Therefore, let us use the good health that some of us have while we have it, presuming nothing. Let us use it to serve well, to love well, to care for your people, your creation, to spend our allotted days cherishing hearts, creating beauty, bringing order, offering healing, delighting in your goodness manifest to us in a million ways. And so to one day come to the end of our days, having stewarded them well. May we who are merely inconvenienced by this virus, remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors, remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home, Remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools are closed, remember those who have no options. May we who have to to cancel our trips, remember those who have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money, in the tumult of the economic market, remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home, remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love during this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other. Let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of God to our neighbor. Heal those who are suffering from this sickness, God. Be gracious, give rest, raise them again to health with a heightened sense of thankfulness for the unmerited gift of well-being and also with a greater sense of compassion for those who suffer lingering, lingering ailment, disease, or discomfort. Teach us by our own small sufferings to be a better minister and friend to those who suffer greatly. So let even the unease we feel today work as your servant, accomplishing your better purposes in us. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for praying along with me. I want to jump into God's word with you uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, get it open to Luke 5, Luke chapter 5. We've been in a sermon series uh, studying through the gospel of Luke. And so the gospel of Luke is the third book in your New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. So you have a few minutes to find that and get that ready to go. Um, you know, but last week, uh, I just had the amazing privilege to take a group of people from Grace Hill Church down to the Dominican Republic, uh, serving a, uh, uh, the Hispaniola Institute of Theology. It's a, uh, an institute that we support in the Dominican that trains uh, pastors for the local church down there. And it was just a fantastic trip. We had a great time. And, and we'll have the team share more about how their trip went um, at, uh, on another day. But, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, I've, I've had the privilege of traveling down to both the country of Haiti and the country of the Dominican Republic. They, they share the same island called Hispaniola. Um, I've been able to travel down there probably uh, 12 times in the last 10 years. And, you know, one of the things that always strikes me when I go to that island is 
how marginalized Haitians are in the Dominican Republic. Uh, the immigration relationship between the Dominican and Haiti is really similar to the United States and Mexico and other Latin American uh, countries. Uh, the Dominican is just a more developed country. There's more economic opportunity. And so Haitians uh, try to get into the Dominican, whether it's legal, legally or illegally, to, to find better work and to be able to provide for their families better. And because of this, Haitians are a marginalized, very much impoverished, and in many ways, an unwelcome population in the Dominican. Now, that's not true for, for all Dominicans, of course, but this is largely true in the experience of most Haitians in the Dominican because of systemic marginalization of Haitians, right? So I have seen uh, my own friend who's a Haitian in the, in the Dominican have a, a gun pointed at him by the police. I was there because the police wanted to check his papers to see if he was allowed to be in the DR. And of course, my friend was able to prove his Dominican residency on the spot. And so the police couldn't do anything about it. But in the Dominican, if you're a Haitian, the police can stop you just because your skin is darker. And if you don't have your passport with you right there, they will arrest you and take you straight to the, the border on the spot and take you back to Haiti. And so Haitians in the Dominican, they always have their papers with them because they always have to be able to prove that they can be in the country. Have you ever felt unwelcome, unwanted, unworthy by a group of people? That, that there was something wrong with you, with your very identity, and therefore there was really nothing that you could do to be accepted. Maybe you have felt this way because of the color of your skin or your ethnic heritage. And that some people look at you a certain way or maybe don't trust you just because of the way your skin looks. Uh, maybe you felt this in your family growing up. Maybe you just felt that you weren't good enough or you were always in the way or you just were unseen. You just were unnoticed by people in your life. Maybe you have felt that in the church before that you weren't good enough for the church, that you have too much baggage, you don't know all the answers, that if people at church really knew who you were and, and what has gone on in your life or what you think or what you know, that you wouldn't be welcome there. Maybe you're carrying a lot of guilt from things you've done or were a part of in your past and you're really ashamed and you walk around with this voice in the back of your head that consistently tells you, if people really knew you, they would not accept you. They would walk away from you. And so you just learn to stuff it. If that is a wound that you still have, and you have just learned to ignore it. What, what I would like to do this morning is I want to I wanna take the Band-Aid off of that wound. And with God's help, let's, let's start the healing process. I remember a, uh, a long time ago, um, I was just sitting with one of my really good friends, um, a fellow pastor. And uh, this is a pastor that I really look up to. He's been a mentor to me in so many ways. 
And this was a while ago and we are sitting and we are talking and this guy's really gifted. He's a really confident pastor. And in the midst of this conversation that we are happening, he shared with me some wounds of things that had happened in his past that he's never really shared with anybody else before. Ways in which he had been abandoned by those closest to him years before. Things that have happened in his life and things that he participated in that was like a chain of guilt around his neck. Everywhere he went, it was like there was this little voice in the back of his soul saying to him, if people knew the truth about you, they would walk away from you just like your dad did. And this was a guy who had the kind of swagger and and confidence where you would never guess that he was walking around with this kind of baggage. And I think if we're honest, we all have that in some shape or form. And so what is it for you? Because this morning, I want you to know that it matters. And God wants to heal it. And so this morning, as as we read from the gospel of Luke, I hope that we'll find that these wounds can only truly be healed by Jesus. Uh, Our church, as I said earlier, has been studying the gospel of Luke for several months now. And so uh, we last left off in chapter five, Luke chapter five. And this is when Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. And so last week, uh, Nick Jones preached for us. We were in the beginning of Luke chapter five, and and we learned about uh, Jesus calling his first disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, We talked about how Jesus found them and called them to follow him. And and Peter, James, and John drop everything on the spot and, and become a disciple of Jesus and follow Jesus around. And so we're gonna pick up right there. But if you haven't been tracking with us through Luke, um, let, let me just catch you up so that you can jump in with us uh, right now. God made a promise all the way back in the Old Testament to his people, all right, which is Israel, that he would send a Messiah, a, a true king for his people. And what this king is going to do is establish the kingdom of God on earth. And so here in the gospel of Luke, Jesus ha- has come on the scene And he's going around to the synagogues and he's proclaiming that he is that Messiah. He's the one who's going to bring the kingdom of God. And so now he's got some disciples who are following him. And what he's going to do here in the gospel of Luke is he's going to start to teach his disciples. And as we read, he's going to teach us what this kingdom is like. What, What is the kingdom of God really like? In other words, Jesus is going to show us what it means to be a part of God's family. And as we'll see in the text this morning, a lot of the religious elites who were in the area in Israel did not like what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God. And so that's where we are. So Jesus is going around teaching people about the kingdom of God. Let's dig in 
to our text this morning. We're going to start in verse 12, but remember verse 11, just one verse before, right? It tells us that Peter, James, and John started to follow Jesus. All right. And so what we're going to read next from chapter verse 12 on is three different episodes, three different encounters that Jesus has. And as Jesus has these encounters, I want you to imagine Peter, James, and John behind Jesus watching what's going on this entire time because they're following Jesus around. They're learning what the kingdom of God is like. And in these three encounters, Jesus is going to show us what the kingdom of God is like. All right, so let's read the first encounter. Okay, encounter number one, which is going to be Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. It says this Now, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there, there came a man full of leprosy, a, a, a fatal uh, skin disease that was highly contagious. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and, and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him, Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Uh, the law in the Old Testament declared that lepers, uh, people who had this awful skin disease, it declared them unclean meaning that they had to be quarantined outside of the city, outside of the camp. They were not allowed to participate in society. They were not allowed to go to the temple or to participate in worship. They were unclean. They had to, to get away. And so obviously this is, this is relevant to us today, uh, to what we're all experiencing. I mean, we're experiencing it at a very small level where we need to stay home and not gather in large groups to, to prevent a spread of a virus. And so obviously what this leper was experienced was, was probably lifelong total seclusion, being forced outside of the camp, declared unclean, can't really talk or interact with anybody. But for these lepers... This wasn't a disease that was going to clear up quickly. So their life was spent at the margins of the city as an outcast, unable to participate with God's people in worship. In fact, if anyone came into contact with a leper, that person would be considered unclean. The uncleanliness transfers to the other person and they would need to be quarantined to the outskirts of the city. And if the leper were to finally get over their disease, there was a ceremonial process with a priest that they had to go through for a priest to declare them clean, which is what Jesus is mentioning here in the text. And so here, Jesus calls Peter, James, and John to follow him. Hey guys, follow me, be my disciple. I'm going to show you what the kingdom of God is like. And what is the first thing that Jesus does? Why don't you follow me to the outskirts of the city where all the outcasts live? 
where, where all the people who are unclean, where, where they live, let's go over there. And I'm really sure that made Peter, James, and John uncomfortable. Not only did they want to pick up a disease from somebody, but they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean and, and unable to participate in worship. They were used to a kind of religious life where you would never put your own cleanliness at risk by going near those who were unclean. But the kingdom that Jesus is showing them is a different type of kingdom. And not only does Jesus seek out this leper, he goes over to the leper and he touches him and declares him clean. See, in the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. But here, Jesus touches a leper and the leper becomes clean. Right? There is something fundamentally different about this kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Because beforehand, religious life was all about if you were clean enough, if you were moral enough, if you figured out how to keep all of the different rituals and rules and sacrifices, if you memorized enough Torah, performed everything exactly according to the law. If you wanted to be a part of God's people, you had to have your act together. You could not mess up and you couldn't get sick or you might find yourself outside. But Jesus says that that the kingdom of God is, is the complete opposite of that. It's a place where God himself heads to the margins, touches the unclean and welcomes the outcast. All right, so, so there's the first picture of God's kingdom. Hang on to that. Let's go to episode number two. All right, encounter number two with, with Jesus. I'm gonna read Luke chapter five, verses 17 to 26. It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And, And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of his friends, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees, right? All the religious elites began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins, but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. All right. So, so Peter, James, and John, they're still along for the ride. 
They're now watching Jesus teach in a house that's packed with people. And, and some people had a friend who was paralyzed. They wanted to get him to Jesus. They heard that Jesus could heal this guy. It's too crowded. And so they whip a hole in the roof and lower him in front of Jesus. And when Jesus sees this man and he sees the faith of his friends who, who wanted to get him, were willing to do anything to get him in front of Jesus, Jesus decides to do something for this man that this man has zero ability to do for himself. He forgives this man's sins. Now, that's a phrase that may have lost significance for us, right? We might be used to hearing that, that your sins are for forgiven. But, but Jesus declared that this man had now been absolved justified, acquitted, pardoned of every sin he had ever committed. Every instance of breaking the law, every impure thought he had ever had. Right? We, we don't know what this guy's reputation was or what his past was like. And yet Jesus says that his sins are forgiven and that he is now at peace with God, no longer at odds with God. This was not something this man could do for himself, but Jesus does it for him. And the religious elites lost their minds when Jesus said this. What mere man can speak for God like this and forgive sins, right? This is blasphemy to them. And I pet Peter, James, and John were sitting there watching this go down, and they're just trying to wonder if Jesus is still worth following. And so Jesus then does this. He says, okay, to prove to you that I am God and I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an illustration. Here it goes, right? This man is spiritually crippled, at odds with God, uh, an enemy of God. He's sinful unable to make himself right with God. And I have spiritually healed him by forgiving of his sins, right? Making him whole. This man is physically handicapped, unable to walk, unable to fix his legs. And in the same way that I can heal his soul, I can also heal his body. And he tells the man to stand up, pick up his mat, and go home. And that's what happens, right? What, what's the point? Jesus is able to do for people what they cannot do for themselves, namely forgive their sins and make them right with God, right? And so, so here's the picture of the kingdom that we have so far through our first two encounters, right? We have a God who comes to the unclean and touches them, right? He goes to the margins, and this God is able to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, which is forgive their sins. We have one more encounter though. Number three, I mean, this is verses 27 to 32. Third encounter it says this, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes, religious elites, grumbled at the disciples saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, This episode may have been the hardest one for Peter, James, and John to experience. Feasting with a large group of tax collectors and Jesus calling one of them, Levi, to become a disciple and to start following Jesus as well. All right, so let me, let me give you a little bit of context. All of this is taking place in Galilee, all right, during the first century. And, and so Israel during this time is under Rome's occupation. And the emperor of Rome would charge a tax to the people because they were under occupation of Rome. They had to pay a tax. Of course they did. And so they employed some tax collectors to collect that tax. And these tax collectors were especially despised, hated by the people of Israel. And for some good reasons, right? The, the first one was they were extortioners. They, they extorted people, right? So basically it worked like this. If Rome said, you need to collect a tax of five bucks from each person, these tax collectors would be like, all right, I'm gonna collect $10 from each person. Give the five to Rome and pocket the other five. And they had the authority of Rome behind them to extort people into doing this. So people hated the tax collectors. And the other reason is that most of these tax collectors were Jews who sold out to Rome, became employed by Rome, and are now extorting their own people. So imagine Peter, James, and John following Jesus. And Jesus points out Levi, This tax collector, a man that is hated by the people, a man who had extorted some of them probably. And Jesus says, that's my next disciple. What? Levi? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That that dude is bad news, right? We don't want Levi coming around with us. We don't want to be associated with Levi. We're not going to get along with Levi. He is the last person, Jesus, who's going to follow you. That guy is way too messed up. He is too far gone. Anybody but Levi. And yet Jesus calls Levi and ends up going to Levi's house with a bunch of other tax collectors and enjoying a feast, good food, good drink, reclining at the table. And again, the religious elites lost their minds, right? This is, this is a different kind of kingdom that Jesus is demonstrating to us. What kind of man comes around here and, and feasts with sinners, right? So, so here's the picture of the kingdom of God to to Peter, James, and John. We have a God who goes to the margins and seeks out those who are unclean and he cleanses them. He's able to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, which is forgive them of their sins. And he will enter into relationship with that person. It does not matter their reputation. It does not matter what label society have stuck on them. It does not matter what they've done in their past. He will enter into relationship and dine with that person. This kingdom is not of this world. It's a place where those who have been marginalized are centralized. It's a place where God heals our hearts instead of us having to try to figure out a law. 
It's a place where God will dine at the table with anyone who will follow him. Doesn't matter what's happened in your life. And as we have followed Jesus in this text, in Luke 5, along with Peter, James, and John, watching Jesus in these episodes, what we discover is that all of these encounters describe what Jesus does for us. Uh, Maybe there is, is something about your life that makes you feel like, you're not welcome at the church or you're not welcome uh, to be in relationship with God or you're not welcome to be a part of the people of God. Maybe you feel something about yourself. You're like, man, I am the last person whom, whom God would call into ministry. I'm the last person whom God would, would forgive sins for. Maybe someone important in your life has made you feel that way. A parent a pastor or someone else essentially made you feel like you were unclean. Kind of maybe the reaction that I imagine Peter, James, and John had to Jesus calling Levi. No, 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 not not that guy. Too far gone, too messed up, too much baggage. Maybe there are some things in your past that you are holding on to that, that serve as a constant reminder that you don't belong with God or his people. And you want to cry out to God, but you've told yourself he's he's not listening because you're on the outside. Maybe you've been taught a version of religion that says that there are all these things that you have to do to get yourself clean so that you can have some credibility with God so that when you pray to God, he'll actually listen to you. All of these bad habits I have to get over, all of these good habits, I gotta somehow figure out how to start. And it just feels like this mountain before you that you have to climb. It's impossible. But that's not the kingdom of God. That's not how the kingdom of God works. It's not a kingdom that rewards those who perform. It's a kingdom where God heals and transforms anyone who will fall before him, just like that leper did and say, make me clean. It's not a kingdom of work. It's a kingdom of rest. And this is what Jesus will do for you or has done for you if you follow him. Every single one of us, spiritually speaking, has been or is like a a leper on the outside. Enemies with God, not at peace with God. We find ourselves unclean in our sin on the outside of God's kingdom. And Jesus is not waiting for you to get your act together or to clean yourself up. Jesus has come to you, to the outside. And he's waiting for you to fall before him like the leper did and ask him to make you clean. He is is willing and able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Forgive you of your sins, make you right with God. And he does this by going to the cross in our place, dying the death that we deserve for our sin and then giving us eternal life in his kingdom. No one else can do that but Jesus because he's God incarnate. 
There, there's no one who is too messed up to follow Jesus. There's nothing that you have done that has disqualified you from being able to follow Jesus. There's nothing in your past that cannot be redeemed. If you follow Jesus, if you trust him to make you clean, if you believe that he has the ability to heal your soul, he will feast with you just like he did Levi. And you will become an important, and hear me on this, an indispensable part of his people, of the church, of his body. You won't just be some person he let in and you're still on the margins. No, you will become an indispensable part of his church because Jesus has transformed your identity and welcomed you into his kingdom. So I need to ask, have you trusted in Jesus? Fallen before him and asked him that he would make you clean. Because if you do that right now, I need you to understand this. If you do that right now, God will not reject you. And he knows you more than you know you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but there are things that you've not allowed God to heal. Things that you have stuffed, wounds that you have not allowed God to deal with because you have just pushed them down so deep. If you give those things to God right now, he will not reject you. You will not be taken to the outside. You're still gonna have a place at his table. And church, Grace Hill Church, to you guys, specifically you, One of the things that God has called us to do is to love people in the same way that Jesus loved people in our text this morning, right? That's what we're called to do. The most effective and powerful way that we can point people to Jesus is by loving people the way Jesus loved people. Loving our brothers and sisters in the way that Jesus loved love them, loving our neighbors in the way that Jesus loves them. And I actually think that that this current situation that we're facing right now with this coronavirus outbreak is a unique opportunity to practice this together as the church, right? The reality is that we are not going to be able to gather at Herndon Middle School for church for a, a long time. Fairfax County Public Schools has closed down their building to us for at least five Sundays, including Easter. And so it's going to be a while before we're back at the school together. And so we'll be live streaming here and we'll figure things out. We're hopefully still going to do Easter on the green, on the Herndon Town Green. But, but during this time, the temptation is going to be to disengage. But I think that God is giving us an opportunity to engage more just yet in a different way. We are not gonna be able to engage in our normal church programming and events. Those have been canceled. We'll give you some more details in a second. But, but maybe a silver lining here is that God is giving us the space to engage in a more 
personal and self-sacrificing type of way to engage people like we just read Jesus engaged people by reaching out to those on the margins or to engage like the friends of the paralyzed man did going above and beyond to get them to Jesus, to serve his needs, to get him what he needed. And so here, here's what I'm gonna do to, to Grace Hill Church. And if anyone else is on here uh, uh, watching, um, you can take this challenge for yourself too. But to Grace Hill Church, I wanna give you a challenge for this week. As, as most of us are going to be confined to our homes, our kids aren't at school, many people are teleworking, not able to gather in the church. We're gonna kind of be in our homes for a while, it seems like. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna issue to you guys what I'm calling the five plus five challenge. The five plus five challenge, all right? And, and here it is. I want you to reach out to five of your neighbors, Five of your neighbors, text them, call them. I'm not talking about general Facebook, you know, uh, uh, reach out. I'm talking to them, you know, go by their house. If you're not sick uh, at all, knock on their door, reach out to five of your neighbors and just ask them, hey, is there anything you need? Um, I'm a Christian. Is there anything I can pray for you about? Uh, How can I serve you? How can I help you? And just reach out to your neighbors. I think in our culture, this is not something that we do very often. And maybe we're in a season right now where God is grinding everything to a halt. And he's just saying, hey, church, let's learn what it means to love our neighbors simply. Reach out in a way that the world finds odd. Just like Jesus did. When Jesus did these things, everyone around him was like, what are you doing? Let's not waste this moment in front of Netflix, but let's use this moment to love our neighbors just like Jesus did. So five neighbors, five people, all right? And so this is the five plus five challenge. So here are the other five, all right? What I also want you to do this week is I want you to reach out to five people who go to Grace Hill Church and call Grace Hill their church home. It's gonna be so tempting to disengage, guys. It's going to be so tempting to, to just kind of forget about our brothers and sisters in the church for a while because we can't be together physically. And let's not let that occur, right? Uh, being a church doesn't mean that we just do programs and events. It, it's a people, it's a body of people together. So I'm challenging you to reach out to five people in our church this week. Same thing. How can I pray for you? How are you? What do you need? How can I serve you? Is there anything that you need? What's going on? How about this? Let's try this, guys. Let's just talk. Catch up. How has the Lord encouraged you this week? How have you been discouraged? Maybe this is an opportunity for us to actually get to know one another and not just attend events together. Loving people, loving one another in the way that Jesus loved. Five plus five, five neighbors, five church members. Let's not waste this moment. It's an opportunity to love people the way that Jesus has loved us. Church, I think God has given us an opportunity at this point to put his kingdom on display during these days. I'm gonna pray that that's what he'll do through us. Let's pray. God, this morning, I just pray as we got to learn at the feet of Jesus, 
and we got to see how Jesus loved people, Lord, I pray that that first and foremost, God, you would remind our hearts, refresh our hearts. For some of us, maybe make it clear to our hearts for the first time what it means that Jesus, you have done all of those things for us. You have come out to the outside, to the margins, and you've made us clean and done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And and God, you dine with us. We're in relationship. You call us friend. You call us a child. And we don't deserve that. But, But God, we realize it's all by your mercy and grace. Oh God, this morning, make that reality, that truth, an encouragement to us this morning. But God, I pray that that encouragement would push us to the margins to go and love people the way you love people. So Lord, help us to love our neighbors well and help us to love our church body well during this season. We ask for your grace to do that. And we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.